1 Samuel 24 is where we're at today. I'm going to begin by reading the first 15 verses, and then uh, we're going to talk about it, and then I'll, I'll read the, the rest of the chapter at, toward the end of the message, okay? When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men. Uh, went, I'm sorry, went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to them, him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and, they, and did not permit him to attack Saul, them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Father, we need your help this morning in understanding the Scriptures and, Father, especially in, in obeying the Scriptures. And, Father, we especially need your help when uh, we've been hurt, when we feel attacked, when we've suffered under someone else's wrongdoing. Father, we, we hear in your Word how you tell us to love our enemies. And, Father, we need your supernatural power to do that. We need to be like you, Jesus. I thank you for this picture of David. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to, to apply the principles of, of what you did through him into our own lives. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we took a biblical look at friendship, okay? Last week, we looked at uh, what does it mean to be a biblical friend? We saw the beautiful picture of David and Jonathan kind of living out this covenant of friendship, this covenant of commitment to one another to do each other well, uh, to strengthen each other's hand in God. And so, man, I loved it. I loved, uh, I loved just that topic of friendship, spiritual friendship. Well, today... Uh, today we're going the opposite directions. We, today we have to deal with the other reality, and the other reality is 
that David didn't have all friends, okay? He did have Jonathan. Jonathan proved to be an incredible friend in his life. But David also had enemies, and above them all, probably top on the list, was Saul, okay? King Saul would have been classified as an enemy of David. Uh, In chapter 24, Saul is trying to kill him. He's trying to hunt him down. He's trying to murder him. He's trying to to find him. He's got 3,000 soldiers, and their one task is find David and kill David. Now, why is Saul hunting David? Well, that could probably be answered in a lot of different ways. Uh, First of all, he's not doing well in the Lord, Uh, God's spirit has been, has been pulled away from him. Uh, his, his habitual disobedience has caused God's hand to be off of him. Uh, he's, he's consumed with jealousy and pride and fear and insecurity. And he's got other people stirring him up to anger. Uh, for whatever reason, David has an enemy, and that enemy is Saul. Okay, So that's the context of chapter 24. Today we're going to be looking at uh, really the issue of enemies. Okay, Last week was the issue of friends. Uh, today is the issue of enemies. Now, do we have enemies? Well, um, I hope you don't have anybody trying to kill you. Uh, I really hope that that is uh, not true. And if you do, I hope they don't show up today. Uh, but I, I hope that that's not true of you, that you would not have somebody that is that violently opposed to you. But I think the reality in, in our lives, and I know this because I talked to so many of you, uh, the reality in our lives is that you probably do have people that oppose you, right? Uh, you probably do have people that disagree with you, uh, like on a habitual basis. Uh, you probably have people, maybe in your work, in your family, that you're going this direction, they're going this direction, or maybe it's like this. You know, you probably have people who are, who are maybe even harming you uh, through their words, through their actions. Um, that's just the reality of our world, okay? And, and, and so maybe you don't have the kind of enemy, the enemy that David did, uh, but probably we could all say that we have people that do oppose us and hurt us in our lives. Now, the question is, the question we want to look at today is, how should we handle our enemies, okay? How should we handle our enemies? Now, I'm not, I'm not really talking about uh, war or terrorist or police or government or um, that sort of thing, okay? That, that's not that that's not, that would be a great issue to talk about, wouldn't it? Especially with, with the state of our world today. Uh, we don't have time for that. Uh, what we're really going to do, what I really want to do, is I really want to get down to the nuts and bolts of your everyday life, okay? So what, what we're really going to talk about is, is the guy at work, um, that seems to just do nothing but oppose you. We're going to talk about the neighbor that, that caused you all kinds of problems. We're going to talk about the relative that, that makes your life miserable. Okay, that, that's where we're going to start. And, and the Bible says lots about that, actually. I mean, you know, if, if we look through the scriptures, there's just a ton about just the practical interaction with our enemies. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus, by the way, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So it's all through the scriptures, just, just taking for granted that we're going to have these kind of people in our lives and how ought we to think about our enemy. It's a great question because um, the question we really want to get to, which I think David points us to, is how did Jesus deal with his enemies? Okay. Now, now the reason that's a really great question is because that's you. Okay. I don't know if you realize that. You, you are an enemy of God. You were, at least. Hopefully, you've come to repentance in your life, put your faith in Christ, and you're a child of God now. But the Bible says we all start out enemies of God. Romans chapter uh, 5 Verse 8 says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And so indeed, Jesus has left us this great pattern of how he's dealt with us as his enemy, okay? So we're going to look at David and Saul, and we're going to be asking the question, how? Okay, how, how, how ought we to respond to our enemies? So how does David respond? Well, just real quickly, uh, you look through here, chapter 24, verse 2. Uh, Saul takes 3,000 men. He's hunting David down. They're going through all the valleys, all through all the, the hills. They're looking for him. And it just so happens by the providence of God that Saul walks into a cave to relieve himself. Now, what does that mean, to relieve himself? A lot of people ask that question. Um, if you want to be very conservative, you want to be very uh, um, you know, proper, maybe in, in the way you think about that, then you could say that he took a nap. He went in there to lay down on a rock and take a nap. Uh, if you want to be a little more less conservative and bold, you could say he went in to go number two. Those are kind of the two uh, two prevailing. When you read commentaries, it's going to be one of those. Usually some guys say he went in to take a nap. Some guys say he went in uh, to go to the restroom. So uh, whatever. I don't think it really matters. Um, but, but the point of that is he's a sinning duck, okay? I mean, God has ordained to bring David's mortal enemy right in front of him, helpless, vulnerable. Saul doesn't know he's there, all right? He can end this thing right now. Where the, he, his guys and him can go from the cave to the palace with one swing of the sword, okay? I mean, David can avenge all those people that Saul has killed, you know, all of David's friends that Saul has killed trying to get to him. All that can be avenged with one swing of the sword. And David does not do that. Not only does he not do that, he won't let anybody else do it, okay? In, in verse 7, it says, David persuaded his men. He's got all these guys that are saying, if you're not going to do it, please get out of the way. I will do this, okay? If you don't want blood on your hands, I'll fix this for you, buddy. You're my friend, okay? Well, we're in this together, and I'll do this for you. David will not let them. Verse 7, David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul arose up and left the cave and went on his way. They have this golden opportunity, Okay, can you imagine it? Okay, let's, let's, let's apply it again to your, the neighbor that makes your life miserable, the relative that's causing grief in your family, and you've got the ability maybe to have a zinger, you know, maybe to, to say something, maybe to, you know, do something that just basically removes the threat. They're just out of your life, you know. They can't hurt you anymore. Um, they, they have to move away or whatever. I don't know. You've got the ability to make that happen, and David won't do it, okay? David, David blesses and protects his enemy, now, the question I want to ask the rest of the sermon is how, okay? Because let's just be honest with ourselves. Most of us don't do that well at all. Someone hurts us. Someone offends us. We don't do well protecting and loving and being gracious and merciful with those people. Oftentimes, oh, maybe we're not pulling out swords, but we're, we're using our words. We're slandering. We're being malicious. We're withholding love. We're, we're not being to our enemy who, who Jesus was to us and who David was to Saul. And so the question I want to ask and answer is, how do we do that? How do we do that? How, how, how do we get better? How do we get more Christ-like in, in dealing with our enemies, okay? And, and the, first, the first thing I need to say is we do that by selective listening, okay? One of the things that makes this really hard is that you are going to, okay? This is not a maybe. You're going to have people in your life giving you bad counsel on this, okay? 
Please hear me out. That's, that's a given. You're going to have people in your life giving you bad counsel. And those people, here's the tough thing, those people are usually the people that love you the most, okay? Notice, notice what David's got to deal with here, okay? I mean, obviously, he's got this huge challenge in front of him, trying to do the right thing, the Christ-like thing here, okay? And, and notice what his men are saying. Verse 4, and the men of David said to him, here is the day the Lord has said to you. They're, they're saying, God's saying, kill him, David, you know? I mean, they're not just saying, we're saying, kill him. They're saying, this is God. Man, this is God. God's doing this. If you're going to obey God, you need to kill him. Okay, that, that's what they're saying. They're saying, behold, I'll give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. I mean, they're just interpreting the circumstances, and they're saying, David, this is what God wants. God wants you to take vengeance right now on Saul. And it was horrible counsel. It wasn't right. Man, you, you got to be careful about interpreting circumstances as for, as for God's will. You got to be careful with that. You know, sometimes maybe you're, up, you're in debt up to your eyeballs, you know, and, uh, you know, you see a shiny new, you know, sports car and uh, you can't afford it, but you go in and you say, you know, man, I wish I could have this. And the salesman says, you know what? I've got a plan for you. 25-year payments, okay? Dollar down, 25-year payments. And you're like, it must be the Lord's will. You know, it must be the Lord's will. I mean, he wouldn't have said that if it wasn't the Lord. I mean, we do dumb things like that, don't we? I mean, we interpret the circumstances how we want them, okay? And so all these guys are saying, hey, God surely wants you to kill him or he wouldn't have brought him in this cave. There's all kinds of caves, you know? I mean, why wouldn't he bring him in? And so if we're going to be successful here, and I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, we get eat up with this. We've got to listen to the right people, and we've got to be selective in our listening. And you've got to realize this. Some of the people that love you the most are going to give you bad counsel sometimes, okay? Even godly people. I've I got to say this. I'm making everybody mad, all these sort of, I'm just going to be consistent, especially moms, okay? I mean, I mean for real. Moms, moms are some of the worst at this. You know why? Because they love you. I mean, they love you like nobody else loves you, you know? And so I'll just, young people who are going to get married someday, I'll tell you, the last person you want to tell your marital troubles to, the last person you want to tell how, how bad your husband is or how bad your wife is, is your mom, okay? Because your mom's going to have a hard time handling that, right? She, she loves you. She wants you to be treated like a, a princess or like a prince all your life. And so you tell her that, and, man, she's going she gonna to pull out the sword and say, I'll do that for you, you know, just get out of the way. I'll take care of it, you know. Um, and so we, we got to be careful who we listen to, okay? So David stops his men. He doesn't listen to them. You know, he doesn't listen to them. He won't let, and he won't let them kill him. He, he, he rebukes them. But who he does listen to, I love this, is the Holy Spirit, okay? David sneaks up, and he cuts the corner off, Paul, uh, off of Saul's robe, and immediately, notice verse 5, afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What does it mean when your heart strikes you? That, that's talking about God's conviction, the spirit of God's conviction in your life, okay? It's a, it's a beautiful picture, right? You, you take a step away from God, and what happens, okay, in your heart, God's, God's striking you, okay? Your, your heart is striking you. Your heart is, is convicting you. Oh, I shouldn't have done that, okay? Now, now, here's the beautiful thing. I bet all of us would say, but he just cut off a piece of his robe. I mean, he could have killed him. Everybody's telling him kill. All he did was, okay, here's the beautiful thing about David. 
When David took a small, we'd all agree, a small step toward aggression toward Saul, immediately his heart was convicted. That's what you want your conscience to do, okay? If you begin to ignore your conscience, okay, God's telling you your sin, and you're like, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. That has a bad effect on you. you. You know what? Some people, some people's conscience works like this. They take a small step, nothing. A big step, a big step, 25 steps, okay? And all of a sudden, the, the person's laying in a bloody mess on the floor, and they're like, oh, I feel bad about that, you know? Well, that's, that's really bad. Okay, you, you want, here's what you want. You want, your, your, you want to be sensitive, listening to the Spirit of God, so that when you take even a small step in the wrong direction, and God convicts you, and you listen to that, you respond to that. You say, but he just cut off a piece of his robe. Well, hey, take out your knife and, and cut off a piece of the shirt, the person beside you. See how they handle it, you know? See, is it a, is it a no biggie, you know? Oh, thanks. I didn't need all that anyway, you know? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's a small step of aggression, isn't it? You know, it's a small step. I mean, man, the king's robe. You, didn't, you don't cut the king's robe. This is the king, okay? So David doesn't listen to his men, and he does listen to the Holy Spirit, even in the smallest of things. I'll tell you what, folks. A small step in the wrong direction can be the beginning of a lifelong journey away from God. True? True? Be careful about those small steps, those small things that you ignore. So, we need to listen to the, don't listen to the wrong people. Listen to the right people. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Second of all, how, how, how are we going to we gonna live this out? How are we going to love our enemy? How are we going to be Jesus to our enemy? We, we, must, we must do that by seeing with new eyes. Okay? It's interesting. It, it's so obvious. When, when you read through this and you're looking for it, it's so obvious. How does David refer to Saul? Okay? How, how do you refer to people? Well, let, let, let's ask this. How, how could have David referred to Saul? What, what's true about Saul? Let me, tell you what, let me tell you something that's true. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. When, when David went to the priest and the priest helped David with some bread... And, and, and Goliath's sword, Saul finds out about that. He murders an entire family of priests. What's true about Saul? He's a murderer. Okay? Now, now just, just imagine if David had only thought about Saul in that way. Oh, here comes the murderer into the cave. Oh, what should we do? The murderer's here. Oh, God has put the murderer in front of us. Oh, wow. Hey, guys, we got to make a decision about the murderer. You're going a certain direction, aren't you? I want you to see how David relentlessly refers to Saul. Okay, listen to this. Verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. Okay? And if you read on in this passage, if we would read that again, take the time, you're going to see over and over again, Saul, David refers to Saul as the Lord's anointed. What, what is he talking about? What he's talking about there is that God had anointed, God had anointed Saul king. I, I mean, God did it. God, God chose Saul as the king of Israel. God put his hand on him. He was the king. And that's what David focuses on. David recognizes what God has done in Saul's life. David recognizes who Saul is in the economy of God. 
Now listen, whenever someone wrongs you, it's really easy to get tunnel vision, isn't it? Just like this. What do you see? You see the hurt. You see the wrong, right? That's all you see. All you see is that person is bad, right? I mean, they said that, they did that, they're bad, bad, bad. Yeah, and, 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 you, and you tunnel vision and you don't see anything else, you don't, nothing in your peripheral, okay? That's a dangerous way to live. I think whenever somebody hurts you, you, you need to think also about, man, who is this person in the big economy of my life, in the kingdom, in the church, in my family? Let's, let's get real practical, okay? Many of you are married. I hope your spouse is not your enemy. That would be bad, okay? Um, but here's the reality. Your spouse is going to hurt you, correct? Going to hurt you, okay? And so how do you think about them in the midst of when they hurt you? Well, you could think about them as the person that always says that, right? The person that, right? You could do that. You could tunnel vision it. But you know what's also true? Let's just take me, for example. What, you know what? Hey, let me tell you what's true about Emma, okay? Emma, Emma's, Emma's a born-again believer. Emma's repented of her sin, put her faith in Jesus Christ. And so no matter what I might think about Emma, here, here's what's also true of her. She's a child of the king. She's not just my wife. She's a daughter of the king. She's, the, she's a daughter of God. She's a sister in Christ. She, she's the mother of my five kids. I mean, that's true. You, 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 see how, you see how sometimes you need to broaden your vision out and you remember, who is this person? You know, if they're in the church, they're the bride of Christ. I mean, the, all of that is very true, okay? So, so when, 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 when they're another believer, when they're a child of God, when they're dwelt with the Spirit of God, when they're part of the bride of Christ, we need to remember who they are. And so whenever David refers to Saul, he refers to him as the Lord's anointing, anointed. All right, how else do we do this? Well, by remembering what our place is and what God's place is, okay? Notice verse 12. Here's how David handles Saul, handles the, the, the offenses against himself. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Now, 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 David is very clearly describing his role and God's role, okay? What is your role when someone hurts you? What's your role when someone opposes you? What's your role when someone is your enemy? You know what we like to think our role is? Judge, jury, and executioner, right? We're going to make a judgment about this. We're going to decide on it, and then we're going to carry out a sentence, you know? The sentence may be, I got nothing to do with that person. I'm going to give them the cold shoulder. I'm going to tell everybody how bad they are. I'm going to slander them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to whatever. I'm going to insult them. I'm going to punch them. I'm going to, you know, whatever, okay? But a lot of times we think judge, jury, and execution, okay? But that is clearly from the Scriptures, not our place. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's God's. It's God's. I think, I think this is the hardest thing for us, is, is this faith step. You know, essentially what, what David is doing here? He is putting himself in God's hands. He's saying, God, I want you to judge. God, I want you to be the jury. God, I want you to carry out the sentence. Judge. That, that, that's what he's saying. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. My hand shall not be against you. I'm not going to do this. God is going to do this. Okay? And that's, that's one of the most difficult faith steps for people to make 
is to put themselves in God's hands. Someone does you wrong, you got hurt, you lost a bunch of money, you lost a position, you lost a job, you lost whatever. And it it is so hard for us not to take our own vengeance, but rather to say, God, putting this in your hands. You deal with it. I trust you. I trust you. You you can do it, God. You'll do a better job than I will. Man, when you read through the Psalms, you really see a a pattern of David thinking this way, okay? So I, I don't know that this Psalm, this Psalm was written by David. I don't know if it's about what he's experiencing in the passage we just read. But, but it's just interesting to read these with, with David's context in mind, okay? So listen to David. Fret not. You know what it means to fret, right? Worry. Don't worry, okay? Don't worry yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. They'll soon fade away like the grass and wither like the green herb. Look down in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He'll act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. Don't worry about it. Over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Man, when I, when I think about David writing that psalm, I think about what he's doing right here. Man, I... I'm, I'm putting this in the Lord's hand. God's going to bring about my justice. God's going to bring about, I'm, I'm giving it to God. You know, one of the beautiful things about David is he is he's concerned about his own heart, not just everybody else's. Look at verse 13. He tells Saul, as the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But then he comes back and says, but my hand shall not be against you. Okay? What, what, what's he saying there? A wicked heart produces wicked actions. Wicked actions indicate a wicked heart. I think this is really important because when when someone hurts us, many times we have this irrational behavior in thinking that what I do in retaliation does not describe my heart. Does that make sense? So someone, someone, someone hurts you, and then you turn around and you are angry and stirred up with vengeance and you say things you shouldn't do and you act in ways you shouldn't act and all the while you think but I'm justified I'm the Christian it's that person you know it's almost like whoever strikes first you know it's like like little kids in the nursery you know you took my toy and so I feel justified in taking it back and beating the the pummel out of you you know I'm just gonna you know and and I'm justified because you you took it you know David says, my actions show you what's in my heart. Next, how do we do this? And this is a great one. Man, listen up here. By realizing that jealousy, bitterness, and vengeance are a sure way to waste your life. Okay? When someone hurts you, I want you to think about when you got an enemy, what is going on inside of here, okay? What's going on in here? What's going on in here and what's going on inside of here? That's incredibly important, okay? Notice what, what David says to Saul. He's preaching to Saul now. Verse 14, he says, After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? Does that make any sense to you? Dead dog and a flea. Here, here's the picture that David is is painting, okay? Let's say that um, I hear that uh, 
Fred's not been to work all week. Karen calls me up. She says, I'm really worried. Got a call from the boss. He's not been there all week long. I don't know what he's doing with his day. I have no idea what he's doing, but he's not at work. Pastor, I'm really worried. And so I, I go looking for Fred in my car. I find him out by Experiment Lake. He's got a little, he's got a little, uh, little bug catcher. He's got a magnifying glass, little bitty tiny net. And he just, he's sweat pouring off of him. And he's just working his tail off trying to find fleas, okay? <laughs> now, I would take him by the collar and I would say, Fred! You're wasting your life, buddy. Why are you looking for fleas? That's the picture David's painting is a worthless pursuit. Okay? Now notice, notice what David does. Come back to this verse. Verse 14. After whom has the king of Israel come out? See, he reminds him of who he is. He reminds him, look, you're the king of Israel. You're the king of God's covenant people. Man, through Israel, the Messiah is going to come. The world is going to be saved. It's going to be blessed. Salvation is going to come through the Jews. And you are the appointed king. And what are you doing with your life? And you're eat up with this worthless pursuit of trying to kill David. There's a great truth here. Unforgiveness jealousy, bitterness, revenge, those are monumental wastes of time and energy. They're just a waste, okay? Saul spends so much time trying to eliminate David that he doesn't do anything good in Israel. He's been appointed king and he wastes the entire thing, okay? Believer, don't be consumed with anything but Christ, okay? Remind yourself, who are you as believers? You may not be the king of Israel, but if you're a believer here today, what's true of you? What's true of you is you're joined to Jesus by faith. You have this privileged position of seeing the kingdom of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're living out the kingdom of God. What are you doing with literally Jesus' life that you've been given? Okay, that's that's the picture of baptism. You've been joined to Jesus. The old you is dead and buried. The new you is raised up to live in newness of life. You're living Jesus' life. What are you doing with that life? And, and, and let me be clear here. If, if what you're doing with that life is you're constantly stewing over perceived injustices against yourself, if what you're doing with, with that heart and mind that God has given you is replaying insults in your mind over and over and over again, if what you're doing with your life is you're stuck on what you didn't get and what you deserved and what somebody else cheated you out of, if you're stuck on constantly comparing yourself to others, if you're continually worried about your position and where you stand and, and how others think of you, you're wasting the life that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. You're hunting fleas and dead dogs. That's what you're doing with the life that that Christ has given to you. What a waste. What a waste of Saul's kingship is that he spends it this way. Man, unforgiveness, that'll do just that to you. All right, notice, notice the result of David's humility towards Saul David's um, turning the other cheek, David's grace, his mercy. What, what's the result? Okay, now pick up the story in verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Isn't that good? Okay. He wept and he said to David, you're more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how, 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 you, how you have dealt well with me 
and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you've done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Oh, isn't that good? I mean, Saul repents. I mean, what a beautiful picture of David doing the right thing. Him, him, him showing mercy and showing grace and Saul's heart is touched and he's repentant and, and, and he turns away from sin. And it would be really awesome if we could just stop reading right there. But we can't. Chapter 25 goes by. Chapter 26, verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakaliah, which is on the east of... You know what ticks me off? is all these people that keep coming to him and saying, Hey, 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 we got David. You want him, don't you? Verse 2, Saul arose, went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. All right, we got to get real. Sometimes you're going to do the right thing You're going to give grace to your enemy. You're going to give mercy to your enemy. You're going to do it once. And they're going to come back and hurt you again. Okay, now here's a pivotal point here. What are you going to do? You know what a lot of people do? All right, God, we tried it your way once. Now we're trying it my way. (laughs) David does not do that. By the way, that would not be faith, would it? What is faith? What is faith? God, I trust you. I trust your way. I trust your plan. I trust your timing. I trust, I trust you. That's not trusting him. Okay? Saying, God, you didn't, you didn't produce results this first time, so you failed. Now, I'm going to. I mean, that's really what we're saying. God, we th- I think you failed, so I'm going to handle this now. David doesn't do that. David trusts God again and again and again. In fact, in chapter 26, God hands Saul over to him again. He has the ability to kill him. Abishai, his buddy, Joab, remember those guys? Man, they're, they're ruthless. Abishai says, just step back and I will do this. Just turn away. Just walk away. Leave me here. I'll do it. David won't. Verse 9 of 26 David said to Abishai, don't destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down in battle and perish. David says, God will handle this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take things into my own hand. And David humbly turns the other cheek again and again again. And again and again. Who's that sound like, by the way? Remember I told you when we started this series, foreshadowing Jesus? Let me read you a passage about Jesus. First Peter 2. For to this, this is verse 21, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Here's our example, folks. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, okay, insert in there, when he was cursed, when he was mocked, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, okay, insert in there, scourged, whipped, beaten, crucified, he did not threaten. 
I love this right here. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Continued entrusting. How did Jesus live? Through insult, through persecution, through abuse, through enemies. What did he do? Continued. Continu- what does the word continued mean? You do it more than once, right? Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It's exactly what David does. Well, let me tell you how it ends, okay? I don't want to leave you hanging. 26 goes by, 27 goes by, 28 goes by, 29 goes by, 30 goes by. Chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua and the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul. The archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And Saul said to his armor bearer, this breaks my heart that he ends this way, draw your sword and thrust me through lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he greatly feared. Therefore Saul took his own sword, and he fell on it. And in 2 Samuel 2, David is anointed king of Israel, and for 40 years he reigns as the greatest king of Israel. I'm telling you folks, God can be trusted. He can be trusted. I know it's hard. I know it's brutal. I know that. I know that. I know when you're in the middle of it and you got all the emotions going on and all the hurt and all the all of that. I know you got people surrounding you who are really good people who are going to say, "Man, I think God brought this about so you could stick it to him." You know, I think this is your chance. You know, this, this is going to fuel your your fire. I, I know that. I know that. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Let God handle it. Entrust yourself to God. I guarantee you God will handle it better than you will handle it. Trust Him. Let's pray. God, I ask you, God, to prepare us, God. I know it's coming. I know uh, it's coming, God, where people are going to hurt us. They're going to be opposed to us. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be struggle, difficulty. I know it's coming, God. It's coming for people in this room. And Father, I pray that, um, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. God, that when we, when we make even the smallest step in the wrong direction, God, that you would, you would strike us in our heart. And God, that we would, we would turn quickly back to you. I pray, Father, help us to listen to your spirit. God, help us to, uh, to love people that care a lot for us but give us bad counsel. God, help us to love them and just realize that they're doing it because they love us, but that, that we've got to listen to you. God, give us faith to see your perspective, your timing, your kingdom. And Lord, just to know that you can be trusted. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name.